When I'm in trouble or have a question, I need help when I need it, preferably from a warm person, not an app or a bot. Is that even possible today? One of the health systems I use just shifted the patient portal inquiry responses to a central department open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 p.m. No more replies to non-emergent questions from my doctor or nurse within two days as I'm used to. Not a warm person when I need it. I called my dear friend Dorothy Cuccinelli as I planned this Emerging Adult with Mental Illness series. Dorothy, CEO of the Capital Behavioral Health Network, CBHN, sponsors COAST, Coordinated Opioid and Stimulant Treatment, a 24-7, 365-person-answered hotline for people in need. Kelly Lane joins Dorothy to tell us more. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege who knows a little about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of health care. Let's make some sense of all of this. Dorothy and Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this COAST program. And as we've talked about previously, I'm really focused on young adults and their families with mental illness and the services that they need and can get. So I was very excited when Dorothy and I were just catching up to hear about this COAST program. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how do people access COAST referrals and supportive services, young adults and families? Sure. It's it's very easy. The way that we've designed this project is there's a single number that can get you connected to services anywhere in the eight-county region that we serve, which is south to Columbia, Green counties, all the way north to Warren and Washington. In, in upstate New York. Yes. Yeah, the capital district, Warren and Washington and Columbia, Green. Okay. Yeah, for those listeners who might not know this area, the capital district is Albany, which is about three hours drive north of New York City. And so we cover the eight counties in that region. So to the Massachusetts border and west and then up north to what's called the North Country to the Adirondacks and south to the Catskills. So it's a pretty big geographic area. It has quite a mix of demographics, everything from people in the cities to very rural locations. And so one of the challenges that I think we've been able to meet pretty successfully is establishing ways for people to access this program regardless of where they live. It's pretty unique in the sense that, as Kelly just said, um, it's a phone line. So people can call this number 24-7-365. And 
they are connected immediately with a prescriber. So someone who can write a prescription and get that person connected to medication assisted treatment right away. Prescription goes to the pharmacy. If the person doesn't have the means to pay for that medication, our grant, our program also covers that. And we can even arrange for transportation to get the prescription to that person. So it's really, we use the term wraparound services a lot in the mental health field. And this is a form of that because it really covers a lot of different bases that individually sometimes aren't there. And if any one of those pieces are not in place, the whole thing doesn't work. We're pretty proud of it. Wraparound is a comprehensive strengths-based planning process put in place to respond to a serious mental health or behavioral challenge involving children or youth. Wraparound shifts focus away from a traditional service-driven, problem-based approach to care and instead follows a strengths-based, needs-driven approach, meaning it considers the person and all they need rather than the medical services. So does that mean that literally it's two in the morning and I need some help for my son and I can call and I'll get a live person? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it means. Yeah. Wow. You can't do that with Amazon. That's for sure. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. And so the little that you told me about it is that this is really a collective. And that the, yeah, so tell us about how is it structured and what are your roles in this? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the network and then I'll toss it over to Kelly. The grant went to the Capital Behavioral Health Network. CBHN is our abbreviation, and we represent about 30 different mental health and substance abuse provider organizations in that eight-county region that I described earlier. So it's everything from the very large to the very small providers who do clinic services, residential the whole range. And what CBHN did was to bring together a subset of those major players who could best deliver this service, coordinated a program, designed it, and made this happen so that all these providers who do work together sort of on individual case-by-case basis issues but really, they don't typically work together on a major project like this. So our role was to bring them together and okay. to continue to coordinate. And Kelly's role in this is a lot of that coordination. So Kelly, do you want to speak to that? Sure. So as the partners came together, they really identified a critical need in the community. And that's that period of time when someone is interested in making a change and the period of time at which they can actually get help for that change. And there's a typically a, a significant wait list, especially for folks who are in need of medication-assisted therapies for opioid and stimulant 
So the partners came together and said, we really want to design something that meets that need, that can help people immediately get folks connected to services and supports. And so there are 10 funded partners and even more partners who aren't funded, but who are part of this network of providers in this grant who came together, worked out how they were going to implement this and you to meet and improve the project. It's really incredible to see the commitment, the willingness to partner across counties, across service types. It's really incredible. One of the things that we know that there's a need out there for services of this type because of the opioid epidemic that's out there. But what was really surprising to me is the to which people are accessing the line. I'm happy that they are, but we're getting an average of about 130 calls per month on that line. So those are people that are getting connected to treatment. And many of those people, we have had callers say, I was on the verge of deciding whether to use another hit of a street substance versus calling you. And I called you and it has made all the difference. And it's really been life-changing for a lot of people, which is, it's terrific. We're very proud of that. And we hope to continue doing it. So it's a great service. So is this a service that is for substance use and severe mental illness? Or is this pretty much focused on substance use? It's focused on on substance use and very specifically opioid and stimulant use. In the years that I've done this kind of work, it seems like having a firm line is really challenging because people are often self-medicating because they've got significant mental health issues that are, whether it's real despondency or anger or voices or, and then they get to addiction through self-medication. So is it, how do you, I'm putting words in your mouth, so I know you'll correct me, but it seems like the call might be about the substance use, but it seems like you probably don't have to scratch the surface too far to find really these underlying issues. And are so is that part of how you decide on referrals and supportive services by what the mix is? I'm, I'm probably not saying that, but you get no, what I, I mean, right? Yeah, we do get a lot of callers who, who, two things, callers who are calling because of what they self-identify as just a mental health issue. Okay. And one of the things I didn't mention is well, this is not a line where we just give you a script and send you on your merry way. Mm-hmm. There's a significant coordination component with this grant so that the person who's calling gets connected to services that will help them get started or continue in their treatment and recovery, whatever that may be. So it's not just, okay, hey, we're going to give you a script and let you go. It's right. ongoing care. The other thing is, as I said, we do get people who call with mental health issue who don't really have 
an active addiction. And those people are given that same kind of handoff to other services. So it's not, oh, we just give you a list and say, here, you're on your own. Here's a list of providers. Call them and see who'll take you. Okay. Okay. Um, it is a referral process and it's what we would call a warm handoff. Yeah, I was just going to say that. This sounds really like the warm handoff, which is just so much. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So what if a parent calls about a young adult in their household or a caring person? One of the beauties of this program is that it brings together treatment, recovery, and prevention. Okay. Prevention programs can really provide support to that loved one, to that caring person, while, and maybe the individual who's struggling is given information and is supported and engaging in services, but prevention services can really provide that support to the family member and helping educate helping connect. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really truly is a great partnership that can Mm -hmm. uh, support not only the individual, but the folks around that person. So is part of your, your network or collaborate grantee collaborators or what, however you call, do they include like residential treatment as well? Yeah, it's the members in the CBHN are pretty comprehensive in terms of the range of services. So it's mental health providers, it's substance abuse providers, and within each of those two categories, it's everything from family support services, which we just talked about a little bit, outpatient clinic, residential. We don't have hospitals in our network, so it's not inpatient hospital care, but pretty much everything other than that is included in the network. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Record your healthcare conversations with doctors and other clinicians with Abridge. Push the big pink button and record. Read the transcripts or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com, A-B-R-I-D-G-E.com, or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Let me know how it went. So, in, in my experience with you, Dorothy, and then working at Spark, oh, there was strong collaborative streak among like providers. There was also intense competition. And I don't know if it's like history, personalities, whatever, that sometimes those what could be fabulous collaborations are really hard to be successful. However, I say that. So what's been your experience with, with trying to navigate the challenges of 
collaboration among so many organizations. Aren't there like territorial things you got to deal with? Or is it pretty smooth? People are just focused on getting the job done. My experience has been that folks, for the most part, are willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And because of the large geographic area, that uh, that people really are serving their normal geographies and even perhaps doing a bit more coordination to serve some of the areas that they wouldn't cover. And that's welcomed because everyone's getting their needs met, services are operating, people are receiving help. So our experience has been pretty positive in that respect for the most part. Yeah, Yeah, I would add too that Beyond Project Host, there are other things that we do as a network. And one of the things that I have found um, through my experience with it it has been that the network provided a forum for particularly leaders of many of these organizations to come together on a regular basis and share ideas, share concerns, strategies, whatever it may be. And that has really been lacking. And I think in many many other areas that in the region that has been lacking as well. So we were the sort of the glue that kind of brought everybody together. And it's been really gratifying to me to see people are really interested in just solving the problem. They just want to help people. That's great. There really isn't a whole lot of territorial stuff. Occasionally there is, but really there isn't. These are very dedicated people who are invested in their work and They just want to help people and whatever we can do as a network to help them is almost always very appreciative. And I can't speak highly enough about them. They're all terrific. When I talk with people who have been young adults going through this, my small sample, okay, so meaning a few people, which who knows what that represents. One of the things that they talk about is they talk about two things. One is that what you're talking about, which is getting help when you need it, that lining it up, getting help tomorrow is not good enough. You need help when you need it. And you've talked about that. And then they talk about that it's often that they're they're being treated in isolation meaning that part of a they live in a world of drugs and that it's really hard to include your parents in that world to people you care about because it's embarrassing and there's stigma and I think I'm hearing that you get help when you need it and that it's a comprehensive program to help deal with many of the levels of recovery or many of the necessary things, not a very descriptive word, that will help people get towards recovery that that concerns young people. So what do you learn yourselves? 
when you're evaluating, so you get together with leaders, how about with the people that you've served? How do they help inform your program? Kelly, I'm thinking about peers. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. When you were talking about how do young folks engage in the world with drugs and with the people they care about, immediately I thought about peers as being that bridge with lived experience who are now working in support of others who are on the path to recovery. And one of the things that our program does really well is connect folks with certified recovery peer advocates throughout the eight county region. And I know that there's a great organization in Greene County, the Mental Health Association of Columbia Green, that they do a lot of work with young adults who have been in recovery and connecting them with young folks who are struggling with their own challenges. And they've had some great in connecting with folks, keeping folks connected to treatment, which has been great. And I think the peers also play another important role, which is being the bridge between the individuals in recovery and the service system and helping to inform the service system of what's working and what's not working for the people that they serve because of that great relationship. So when I talk to, so far I've spoken with like primary care physicians, ED doc, a pediatrician, who's the administrator of an adolescent psych unit. And one of the things that's a theme is that on the one hand, they don't have enough capacity. And the other is that for the capacity, they have trouble staffing it. And it is pretty awesome that somebody can call your number anytime and get somebody. It's, I feel like it's almost unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how does that matching forces with demand, capacity with demand, how do you, what are those struggles for you or are they? I talk with various leaders from these organizations that are in our network and others almost every day. And almost every day I hear, we've got vacancies, we can't fill them, staff shortages. I mean, it's a national crisis. It really is. And I don't use the word crisis often, but really it's a big problem. So many people left the field during and immediately after the pandemic started to ease due to burnout, family issues, a host of things. There aren't enough people coming up in the pipeline to replace them. I think part of the reason for that is the pay level in this field is not competitive with other fields. It's terrible. Who's going to go and get a master's degree in social work, expend all that time and money, and then get a job that pays less than you would get paid for many other professions that require the same level of education? You've got to be really dedicated. Um and then deal with all the stress that comes with the job afterward. It really takes a lot for people to go into this field. And I don't think 
a lot of people recognize that. But it's a very demanding field and there just are not enough. And I'm not just talking social workers, it's psychiatrists. It's peers. It's peers, it's psychiatrists. Yeah, yeah. It's everywhere. It's right. everywhere. It's just terrible. So matching the resource. It, it's an ongoing issue. It's not just a matter of here, we'll give you the money, go create a program. It's, are you going to be able to find the staff to be able to right. staff that program? And actually there was a, a grant that we talked about as a network that that was one of the major drawbacks was because what was required in the grant um, was something that we knew would be very difficult for us to meet in terms of staffing. And everybody is struggling with that. So I don't have an answer. Yeah. We threw a lot of money at all of these positions and somehow magically raised the salaries. Got more doctors to choose psychiatry as a profession. Raised pay levels. I think it would go a long way toward easing the crisis. But I personally don't see this easing up anytime soon. And I Sorry can to be so grim, but... That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I would imagine that if your promise is access and then there isn't the capacity to care, that's really disappointing, both to the carers and the people seeking care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Maybe I would like to add, though, yeah, sure. that the project does have processes and systems in place to help maximize the availability of providers across the network. So as folks are getting referred to services, there's a program called Matters that's a referral-based platform that actually has in real time availability of those outpatient providers. The individual can get matched with number one location and referral back to their community, but also to a provider with confirmed availability. So that's been helpful Uh in terms of matching people to available prescriber resources. After After the call, call, I asked asked Dorothy Dorothy to tell tell me more more about the process. She said, basically, basically, our project, project, Coast, Coast, connects connects people people who call the 800 number for Coast to a prescriber. prescriber. The client client is also also connected connected to a Coast Coast care manager manager who helps helps the client client find follow-up and continuing care after after the Coast Coast prescriber gives gives the immediate prescription. prescription. The Matters platform, New York State sponsored, lists various providers all over the state, including our area. Available appointments are on the platform, so a client can get signed up for care through that platform with the help of a care manager immediately, instead of the client having to call the provider for an appointment, which avoids the runaround a lot of people go through. It also also helps helps get people people immediately connected to follow-up, which is important important because because without without that handoff, many people people would just take the script and not follow through with additional care. So young adults grow into adults. How does Coast Network maintain a pipeline of peer support as people 
age. So I think that, Dorothy, please correct me if I'm wrong, but the majority of peers in our network are adult serving peers. And where we find the most challenge is identifying peers that serve young adults adolescents so the the challenge is okay. really on that end not on um, service to adults. as they get older one of the things that we didn't touch on was the ability for folks to get connected by phone in person or via telehealth so okay. if you're outside of the tri-county area of the capital district and you don't have transportation you still need the help how do you get connected to a prescriber? Well, COVID right. can talk to you over the phone. They can interact with you over Zoom, for example, and still get you the help that you need. Yeah, I would say there's one other part of the program that we didn't talk about too much, which is the prevention piece. Mm -hmm. There are two programs that are included in this grant that are called Teen Intervene, which is a program for young people in their teens and their parents to come together and, and learn strategies for better communication and and education, which has also been successful, and strengthening families, which is similar to that. So those are two components of the program that we really have not touched on too much. And very valuable. And they're evidence-based programs that are seeing great results just in the short time that we've been funding them in this region. And one other thing occurs to me too, in terms of how people access this, as Kelly said, once they know about the program, there are a number of different ways they can get connected. But getting the word out on the program has been something that we've really spent a lot of time and effort on. Because if people don't know you have something, you might as well not have it. Think in this field, that's something marketing often gets lost as frivolous or we don't have the funds or whatever. But what our marketing efforts have really shown us is how important that really is. Yeah. We've got a lot of data on who's calling from, not by individual, of course, where calls are coming from geographically and really helps us to our strategy so that we're reaching people in the most effective way. It's been really great. Thank you. This is wonderful. Request. Could you send me any links that, you know, whether I have an international audience, so in a way, people like to learn about what works, even if they can't get it themselves. Because, you know, there's people out there struggling with this. So it's like with that kind of a mind. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much, I know I have one person in the Capital District that follows me who's here on the call, but I don't know that that's the value for you, but it's that you're onto something and people like to hear it's working for other people. 
Um, yeah. I just want to say too, Danny, I appreciate you doing this for us because it helps to demonstrate to our grant funders at the state that we're using innovative ways to get the word out. Yes. I don't know that anybody's doing a podcast interview. I just right. wanted to thank you for that. Sure. And the other thing is the Matters program that Kelly yeah. mentioned, M-A-T-E-R-S, might be something that you might want to do another interview. Okay. With yeah, so I've, where I've been going with my podcast is I've been thinking more and more about how people take in information. So that started with thinking about people who are hard of hearing or visually challenged. And then I started as a blogger and then I went to a podcast and I realized that there were people who read primarily. There are people who listen primarily and there's people who watch. And so I've been doing YouTube videos of the the episodes as well. Great. And so if it's okay with you, I will use this as for a video version. And I claim no rights to any of my work and you are free to use any of it. And Dorothy, if you end up that there's certain clips you'd like me to pull out for you so that you can use them in marketing, I'm happy to do that. Let's think about that down the line. Thank you so much, Dorothy. As always, I love seeing you and talking to you. And Same nice here. to meet you, Kelly. And nice we'll talk again. Okay. Take care. Okay. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You'd think I'm most excited about the warm handoffs in the 24 7 365 live person access. You'd be wrong. Well, actually, I do value that tremendously. But the last bit about marketing resonates most with me. Throughout my career, I've emphasized marketing in, for, about services, ideas, leaderships in all aspects of healthcare. Governance, operations, research, quality, outcomes, measurement. Other than surgery and drug therapy, which are core to the medical model of healthcare, everything else, culture, public health, prevention, habits, lifestyle, depend on marketing. I define marketing as knowing and listening to customers and target audiences, strategy, analytics, writing, and storytelling. I appreciate Dorothy's emphasis on marketing. Although I emphasized marketing throughout my career, I was underwhelming everywhere at marketing, marketing. So sad. I wonder if Coast is a hyper-local solution or can it be generalized? Certainly collaboration over competition, live phone attendance, 24-7, 365 access can be generalized. But the flavor, the infrastructure, the process, and participants need to be local. Lastly, although Coast does not emphasize emerging adults, its focus is adults, the service includes emerging adults, and the model can serve emerging adults. I'm grateful to Dorothy Cuccinelli and Kelly Lane for sharing. Oh,
I host, write, edit, engineer, and produce Health Hatch the Podcast. Kayla Nelson provides website and social media consultation and disseminates the podcast across social media. Leon Van Leeuwen edits the article-grade transcript. Joey Van Leeuwen supplies musical support, composing and arranging, especially for the podcast intro and outro. I play Barry Sachs on some episodes alone and with the Lechuga Fresca Latin Band. I'm grateful to you who have the most critical roles as listeners, readers, and watchers. Please subscribe and contribute through my Patreon page, patreon.com slash healthhats. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and healthhats is one word. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, health-hats.com, and my YouTube channel, at D-V-A-N-L-E-E-U. If you like it, share it. See you around the block. Thank you.